Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Today on the Recruitment Flex, we have a special episode. We're talking employment brand, and we have some pretty special guests. So before we introduce those guests, let me introduce my co-host, Shelly. How's it going, Shelly? It's going great, Serge. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Let's not delay yeah. because we... I, I'm pretty excited about this episode. I know Me how too. you feel about employment brand. I feel pretty strongly about it. So let's introduce our guests. Let's not make them wait too long. Yeah. Thank you, Serge. And, you know, I'm also very excited about this because I think this is a topic that is going to be enormous uh, post-COVID. COVID. And once things, even leading into it, I think this is going to be so essential. So I'm really excited about today's topic. And I'm also very excited about two extremely impressive leaders in the field that are joining us today. So I'm going to introduce, first of all, I'd like to introduce Kate Chelowich who is the Director of Sales and Marketing with Visi Recruiter. She is also President of Next Level Solutions. And what I love about Kate's background is that she was originally spent a significant amount of time in the consumer brand world and then came over to the dark side of <laughs> employer brand. So welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. And so just, just so everybody's clear, we have Kate and we have Caitlin. And so let me introduce Caitlin Holbein. Caitlin is the founder and principal consultant with the employer brand shop. Does the name just says it all. Uh, Caitlin is also a regular content contributor to rally recruitment marketing, which as we all know is the online community for all things recruitment marketing. Yay. Um, and is also a professional speaker. So much like Kate, Caitlin transitioned back over to the employment side of the world about six years ago and now um, applies her talents to helping companies maximize their employer brand. So please welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me, Serge and Shelley. Very excited to, um, to be here to talk all things employer brand with you both today. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So I get to lead off with the first question. And so, um, Kate, I'm going to send it over to you uh, because this is something that I love is telling the story. So share with us your um, Cinderella story of a brand that, that you were part of, an employer brand that you were a part of, something that just you'll never forget it. So as you mentioned, Shelly, my previous employment was on the consumer side, and I was very lucky to work with amazing brands. So anything in the action sports industry, I started my career at a small space called Moose Jaw, which eventually grew into a larger um, environment and was absorbed by Walmart, which is pretty awesome. So they're leading a diversity challenge in that space to increase engagement in the outdoor action sports world. But I think from an employer branding, you don't get more accurate and authentic than what Moose Jaw did in their space. So coming into an e-commerce role in the 90s, so they were really forefronters on technology, but they started to carve out their brand voice, which made them differentiated in the marketplace. So instead of the traditional outlets that, you know, touted a very structured outdoor experience, they leaned into humor. 
So everything, every email you read, every job description, every product review had a little bit of irrelevant humor to bring the uh, consumer into the voice. So that built up the retention and legacy that they were able to carry out and thread through everything that they did from their packaging, which was awesome. You get it in the mail and it you know, has stickers with kisses on it that says, don't be surprised if you've seen this before we recycle. But honestly, it was because it was more cost effective to use that type of recycled box than to buy new ones. So they were able to make this sustainable movement in the space and wow. weave it through every single touch point across Omnichannel, which was really cool. And I was part of that to build up that brand um, to see it come to life was really awesome. Wow. Love that. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> Did you know Moose Jaw was a city here in Canada? In Saskatchewan, definitely. Yeah. 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 Really, oh, okay. <laughs> no surprise. Caitlin, Caitlin, over to yeah. you. Yeah. Over to you. Tell us. Yeah, for sure. So, in terms of um, a Cinderella story or kind of projects that I'm really proud of, um, I would say I really enjoyed. I worked in house for a company called Open Text for a number of years, and then actually when I started the employer brand shop, they they stayed on as a client of mine, and we worked on a lot of different projects together. And um, for those of us in Canada, OpenText may be a bit more of a familiar name because it's a pretty, pretty large, I think it was the largest software company in Canada for quite a while. So it's a bit more familiar uh, here in Canada for those, those folks tuning in in the U.S. It may not be as, as well known of a name, but um, what, what I'm really proud of in terms of the employer brand work that we did there was um, OpenText is a very complex organization. And the company has numerous different product lines and um, a lot of different sort of industries that it operates in and, and different ways that it, that it helps um, customers. So I, I think the real success story for us there was building the employer brand program entirely from the ground up and translating this sort of complex narrative of, of what open text is and what they're all about into something that was a little bit more digestible for candidates and for employees to to really understand what the company was all about and, and kind of the the value that they would get in exchange for their their time and work in, in coming to join the company. Awesome. Yeah, a really good quite story. a success story in Canada. Yeah. So yeah, well done. Absolutely. Well done. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, what's really interesting about brand and when we talk about employment brand is how many companies really don't understand the importance of it. So I'd really mm. like to get your input. Why do so many companies miss out on understanding employment brand? Um, really like your perspective on that. Let's start with uh, Caitlin, if you don't mind. Mm, yeah, good question. So I think a lot of companies overlook employer branding because they think of it as kind of like a fluffy bunny opportunity to, to talk about your culture and um, but what they're missing out on is kind of some of the more concrete ROI and tangible takeaways that can be um, that can be gleaned from building an employer brand program and executing on recruitment marketing initiatives in, in the right way. Um, so, so basically employer branding at the end of the day, um, it needs to be it needs to be approached in a way that is, is rooted in reality in the lived employee experience and um, your employee value proposition should really be composed of, of a number of different factors. Culture might be one of them for sure, but it can also be composed of um, other concrete factors like um, the, the sort of like 
the perks and the benefits and the CSR initiatives you have, the HR programs and policies, the, the team members you'll be working with, it should really first and foremost be rooted in reality. And then it becomes a matter of actually taking that, that real lived experience that conveys the value that an organization offers and activating it in a way that builds brand awareness so that the pipelines of talent that you're working with are much higher quality. Um, it also provides the opportunity when you're, when you're creating employer brand content and sharing it across your various candidate and employee touch points, it provides the opportunity for candidates to self-select whether your organization is actually a good fit for them, that it's actually an opportunity that's going to resonate with them long-term. And as such, that can really save your organization a lot of time and money because um, you won't be bringing on board new hires that are basically just going to churn and leave your organization within, you know, a couple of months, which costs you a lot of money. And then as well, on the flip side, when you can activate your employer brand correctly from an internal standpoint, it can really help with employee engagement and retention efforts. So again, saving you money on that side of the spectrum. So it can be seen as a fluffy bunny thing, but I think it's worth paying attention to because um, it can save organizations a lot of money when it comes to their overall talent management approach. I am going to use fluffy bunny all the time when I'm describing my employment <laughs> brand. Love it. <laughs> Kate, I know you deal with uh, a lot of companies and I, I'm sure you've seen some real screw ups when it comes to employment brands. So what's your perspective? No, I think that the consumer brand and the employment brand are working to build confidence. Whether you are attracting candidates into the organization that are building up the talent pool um, or attracting consumers into your retail brick and mortar store, you're still having a cohesive, it's important that story is cohesive, right? So if you um, fail on a consumer front, you're not going to be able to attract the talent that you're looking to build the brand to drive the sales. So they really work hand in hand um, and they can affect it both ways. Consumers in their reviews, the way employees have sure. reviews are going to affect your sales, are going to affect the culture that you have. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to have that cohesive balance, but it's important at the end of the day because it's what the outside sees as your brand in total. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know, um, and just as, as Sir mentioned, um, Kate, that you are touching so many different industries. So just, uh, just for fun, tell me, is there an industry that you just love to get your hands on that is just dying for an employer brand makeover? Well, I have two jumps to mind. One is manufacturing. So I see a ton of companies, a lot of them are still privately held, and they have a tremendous amount of history that they just aren't leaning into to capture confidence, mm -hmm. right? So you have um, a very short time in that candidate journey to build up that story and give them a reason to start their career with you. So being able to lean into some of the history and those um, touch points that build the confidence become very important. And it's really cool because each company, whether you have a defined employer brand or not, you have a story to tell and your story is very unique. The second one that I would love to see a change in is financial because we just, it's like as corporate as America, corporate America comes yeah. and you're not leaning into those values that Caitlin mentioned before. You're not going to attract the right candidate by using a ton of stock imagery and manufactured videos on your career site. 
you want people who are going to be successful there. So show them what you're really about. Lying to your candidates doesn't help them become successful and it doesn't help your organization get to where it needs to be. Tell them the truth. Show them the environment they're going to be working for. Not everyone wants to work in some open environment that's, you know, sustainably sourced with a beer fridge. That doesn't appeal to everyone. And don't be afraid if you don't have that. You're going to attract the right person with what you do have. Mm, Nice picks, Kate. Nice picks. Over to you, Caitlin. (laughs) Who do you want to get your hands on? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more with with what Kate has said for sure. Um, some other industries that I think we're starting to see realize that they need to kind of step up their game when it comes to an, an employer brand or recruitment marketing perspective include um, banking and insurance. Mm-hmm. Really, a lot of sort of more traditional industries that are now suddenly having to compete for the same types of talent as some of, you know, the Googles and, and Facebooks and tech startups of the world. They really need to attract the same caliber of talent. Yeah. In some cases, you know, they need to, to upgrade their, their technical teams and so on. But if they're not speaking the same language and, and creating the same sort of experience and providing the types of details that candidates need and anticipate receiving from a prospective employer, then they're really doing themselves a disservice. Um, so it's finding ways to be able to articulate the type of experience that those talent demographics would have as well as to create, um, you know, to create content and collateral that really, that really upgrades the entire candidate journey. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really important, I think, for some of these more traditional industries. And another one in Canada, actually, that comes to mind, too, this one's a bit of a, a funny one, but um, a few years ago, cannabis was actually legalized in Canada, as Serge and Shelley, you'll likely know. And that industry is growing very, very quickly. And there are some, some large organizations here that have some yeah. pretty compelling career opportunities. But of course, there's still a, a pretty significant stigma in some cases associated with the industry. And so it can be hard to attract like a really high caliber, say like accounting candidate who wants to work for like an Ernst & Young or, or whatever the case may be. So I think that would be a really fun area to get in and kind of um, shake up and define, define what the value proposition is and appeal to to different ranges of candidates who maybe wouldn't consider that industry for, for an employment opportunity. Yeah. Good call. Good call, Caitlin. I, I actually had never thought of that, but you're so right. Like, as I listen to you talk about it, I just think what a missed opportunity because it's, it's almost like they're fum- It's like they're fumbling over themselves is the way it feels right. Like mm. they, nobody yeah, has sure. that cohesive message. So good call on the pot business. Um, so, <laughs> So I think what the interesting thing about the cannabis industry, I don't know if it's the same in Canada as the U.S., but there's a lot of government regulations on advertisements and what you can and can't do. So if you're right. smart and you're curating content that leans into your job ads, you can almost twofold it in as a first class ad for your uh, brand as well. Because yeah. I don't think mm-hmm. I could name a pot company off the top of my head, but I would be able to start getting logo recognition if I saw it in my LinkedIn feed. I would be able to see uh, additional LinkedIn articles or Facebook ads that are populating into my content to uh, start to get some recognition and, and impression share. Yeah. Yeah, right. They could really use their employer brand to kind of elevate their their consumer exactly. brand in this instance. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, good call. Good call. We're calling it the pot business. I followed your lead, Shelly. Where do you get your dope? <laughs> What's the most recognizable uh, logo for where you get your dope? 
We don't call it dope anymore. Oh, don't we? No, no, oh, no. sorry. Just no. That's that's just... from the that's like from the seventies. Uh, oh, there was you missed that opportunity. You could have just said, "Okay, boomer." Yeah. Okay, like, boomer. Kind yeah, of. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so do you know? Do you know? It's interesting that both of you kind of cue into some uh, big. Um, industry sectors like when i think of banking and insurance um they're big and they're slow um but they're also they've got tons of money right so it's interesting because there's a perception that you have to be a fortune 500 to even um begin to think about employer brand because there's a perception that it's so expensive right so you know the the opportunity though in that small to medium sized business is is really where I think companies really need to compete um, because they don't have the overall brand recognition. So, um, Kate, tell me, what do you feel are kind of the real cost-effective ways for those smaller companies to enhance their brand? Uh, that's a great question because I think the um, assumption is you need a large budget and a large team or you need to outsource to a large agency, and that certainly isn't the case. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you have an employer brand, like you have a brand and a perception of the way candidates and consumers view in the marketplace. And I think um, one of my favorite lines from Mad Ben, like, if you don't like the conversation, change it. Because if you aren't proud of what's being said, you have to take leadership in there and say to your leadership team, this is how people are perceiving us in the marketplace. And if a shift needs to happen to get the right people in here, we need to take a top-down approach, and it starts with change up here. Now, to do that is not easy, but you can take control of some of the assets and the way that things are, are being shared out into the space. So social media is free. Set up your pages. Get content going on a regular basis. The more content I read uh, this morning in my LinkedIn feed, it's like, unless you're the super all-star of content, just pump content out because that's what helps to build you know, the recognition and the impression share of people to start taking awareness of what you have to offer. Um, iPhone videos are another easy way to include things in. People think video production needs to be a whole team that's working to, you know, write scripts and come in on site, etc. But often it's the employee testimonial and the real authentic feedback authentic, that starts yeah. to resonate yeah. and build the quality with candidates. Mm -hmm. So I think if, if you don't know, you think it's really hard, but it's happening already and you just need to take control. Wow. Great points. Great points. You know, there's, there is um, those really polished uh, professional videographer um, type of videos that you see. And um, I know from watching them, you can tell it's staged versus somebody grabbed an iPhone and went, look at how cool this is, right? Like, <laughs> so I, I love that whole authentic uh, voice, especially of an employer. So Kate, Caitlin, what's your perspective? What's the most cost effective? Yeah, so, like, where do we start? Yeah, good question. So I, I think it depends on if we're equating cost effectiveness with time as well. So what I mean by that is if you have someone who has the bandwidth to be able to take on um, some employer branding and recruitment marketing initiatives, then there's a lot that you can do that doesn't require, you know, going to an agency or, um, you know, spending big bucks. As Kate was mentioning, you can start to set up your social media profiles, even executing on an employee value proposition project. It's 
it's meaty and it takes time, but it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It just takes time to research how to approach it if someone's never done it before and then to conduct all the research and so on. So I think that there's a lot that can be done in-house if you have someone with extra bandwidth, but in many cases, you know, time, time is money and you might not have someone that has that extra bandwidth. So if that's the case, I think one, one place that can be great to start is with um, employee advocacy and employee generated content. Yep. So similar to what we've kind of been discussing in terms of that um, organic content that's, that's shot on an iPhone or whatever the case may be, um, it's giving your employees the right knowledge and, and tools to feel empowered and comfortable contributing to the conversation yeah. and sharing their experiences on, on social media so that you in turn from your corporate accounts can kind of amplify what the employees are already saying. And this is a great approach because it, doesn't have to cost any money. Um, it's very effective from a, a bandwidth kind of time it takes to execute on the task type perspective. And candidates really trust what what's coming directly from the employee's mouth, yeah. um, even more so than they would trust what's being pushed out from your, you know, from your your brand perspective. Mm-hmm. You're both speaking my language. I think one of the things that annoys me the most is uh, any stock imagery. If I see stock imagery, <laughs> automatic turn off. I'm not going to read anything that's overly staged. Uh, and I've always been a fan of uh, employee-created content. Uh, I'm exactly on the same page. If I'm going to trust it if it's from an employee. It doesn't come overly polished. I think in this world, we're all looking for authentic. And if we, you can have an authentic voice in some ways and you use your employee, your talent, your employees to, to be able to leverage that, I think it makes a big impact. So, And uh, like mm-hmm. we've talked about this a little bit, but I'm really curious. Uh, I want to dig in a little bit deeper because there's consumer brand then there's employment brand. Uh, most marketing people that I know of don't even know what consumer employment brand is. Like uh, I've had to actually educate a lot of CMOs on this. No, it is a different approach. It's different. Sometimes it's different people because the message can be different. Obviously, you want some type of consistent message when you're trying to combine both. But what's your thoughts? I'm I'm curious, Caitlin. Like when you talk about consumer brand and employment brand, how would you approach it? in the way that they're different or are they the same? Mm -hmm. Well, in my view of it, they're definitely different, but they're certainly interrelated and, and one kind of has an impact on the other. So an employment brand is basically how talent perceives of you as an employer, as a potential workplace. And that includes, um, you know, prospective candidates. It includes your current employees It includes really how anyone thinks of you as as a potential workplace. And then a consumer brand is, is how prospective consumers consider your, your product and think about your product or service offerings. Um, so what we rarely see is a company with a, a crummy consumer brand who has like a fabulous employer brand or, or vice versa. And that's because they definitely um, have, have a relationship where one influences the other. And likewise, as a candidate, if I'm going through a company's hiring process and I have a really terrible experience, that's going to flavor my perception of that company's consumer brand. And I'll be a lot less likely to want to take my hard earned dollars and spend them with a company that's, that's treated me pretty bad throughout, throughout the process. Right. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely sort of a reciprocal relationship between those two, but they are different and you would focus on different types of things in the development of your employer brands than you would in the development 
of your consumer brand because you're, you're talking to a different audience who's going to be interested in hearing about different factors. Um, but you do also want to ensure that there is an alignment between the two and that the employer brand you develop doesn't look like it belongs to a completely different company in terms of like the languaging, the visuals, like you want to make sure that it still feels like cohesive, like all of these assets mm. belong to the same company. So those are a few initial thoughts. It's a pretty complicated um, yeah. relationship between the two, but those are kind of a, a few initial thoughts to, to get the conversation going around how those two intersect. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the audience are definitely merging. Um, and you can't really look at them separately because if the experience of someone applying for a job will make a big difference if they're actually going to leverage the consumer brand of it. So, Kate, I'm curious, what's, what's your thoughts? I mean, my, I mean, my gears are turning, especially from the consumer side of it. I mean, it, everything impacts sales. Yeah. Uh, it's they for me they weave together and often at organizations the budget goes to brand design and marketing and there isn't a lot of understanding when those silos are created that they really do impact each other and the message should be omni-channel there shouldn't be a disconnect as Caitlin said you shouldn't look at it and think wow this belongs somewhere else so it's important for the messaging, the assets, and the um, the look and feel, and the way the emotion that it sparks to be cohesive. Um, there's a great example from Virgin Mobile that talked about really poor uh, candidate experience and the costs that it had, and impacted their cell phone plans. So essentially, what they figured out was that if you had a bad experience with the interview, you're more likely to cancel your cell phone plan and tell three to five people to cancel theirs too. So when they did the mathematics behind it, they realized we need to pump money into this because it's just as important to connect with consumers during an interview for our organization as it is to buy a billboard in the middle of Times Square. So when you start to realize that, and again, it comes from leadership, leadership has to be on board to say, I'm okay allocating budget at something that doesn't have a direct ROI. So I'm going to be okay if I have this much of a pie to, to, to carve this out for HR and help them build it because it's so important for the perception of both our organization to attract good talent and then also for our consumers to have uh, confidence when they buy our products that we're a solid company and that we're treating our employees correctly and we're, we, we stand behind what we're, we're selling. So who owns Employment Brand? <laughs> Lay it on me. <laughs> Kate. I mean, you, you cannot, I feel you cannot be successful if leadership doesn't have an understanding of it. So I, we talk often in my previous organizations, leadership doesn't understand and value it. It's very hard to make change, regardless of what you're talking about. That said, I think that brand design and marketing have the skill set to do the attraction piece, but the HR side of it understands there's such a it's such a different language between the two teams and that's why they often don't talk so it's yeah. uh you know there has to be some like kumbaya at the table for both people to understand the importance of it and how they play together to make make things successful good points caitlin mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with um with what kate just mentioned i think that in order to see a really successful employer brand execution, there needs to be really, um, 
ideally a shared accountability that, that crosses boundaries between teams. I've seen some teams that, you know, their employer brand program sits on the HR side and they do phenomenal work. And I've seen um, some teams or the employer brand program sit within, within marketing and it does phenomenal work. Um, so I, I think it can work really well on either side, but one, one really requisite recipe for success, in my opinion, is that there is a really strong sort of line of communication. Um, in an ideal world, I think even having like dotted line accountabilities to the other function is, is really ideal because it, it formalizes that both teams have, um, you know, responsibility and really uh, to deliver when it comes to employer branding. And I think, you know, having regular meetings where, where you discuss progress and initiatives and, and as Kate mentioned, making sure that, that leadership understands the part they play and the responsibility they have in, in upholding and communicating the employer brand is, is really important. So I think that um, the responsibility ideally should be, should be everywhere um, for, for things to work really well. It's funny because I try to avoid marketing at all costs. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, not really? saying, I'm not saying that's the advice. Obviously, I have a passion for employment brand and uh, sometimes marketing can slow down the process for me, but that's unusual. So that's just my, mm -hmm. my point on it. Yeah. And, you know, Serge, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. And I think um, in my 25 years being in recruitment, I can count on two fingers how many true marketers I have met that really understand the power of employment brand and they constantly want to shove down everybody's throat what we know sells the product. Like I get it, like without sales, you've got no reason to be there. I don't care if you're selling electricity or if you are selling shoes. Like I get it. I get it. That's how we make money. But to apply the same sort of um, messaging and content, you know, the reason I buy shoes is not the same reason that I decide I'm going to change jobs and I'm going to take my talent to any specific company, right? Like, and I've not met many marketers that, well, two that actually went, oh, I get it. Wow. You're so right. And, and they ha you almost have to take them back to their first marketing class in university and say, do you remember defining audiences and understanding who you're talking to? So, I mean, Caitlin, you make a living in communications, right? I mean, it's, um, I'm sure you see it time and time again. But um, yeah, I think we're all kind of, um, and that's really why we wanted to get, uh, put the question to, to you around who should own it. Because, you know, HR sometimes, like, unless you have someone like Serge or uh, who's, who's a talent acquisition specialist, right, and leads that function, own it, it somehow gets lumped over to HR. And HR, um, am I allowed to say They, they have no clue. Absolutely no clue. And okay, I I'll let you nice say it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. we're, we're not trying to hurt anybody's feelings No, we're here, not but, trying, but you know, what like, I see... To your point, sorry, I think one of the things that is a big difference, there's a big difference of buying shoes and having a new job. And you take in yes. context, there's, yeah. there's not many things in your life that are major life events and getting a new job is one of them. Um, so the marketing approach and how we look at it has to be completely different. And I think this is where empathy really drives in as far as how you market, how you, you leverage employment brand, you're trying to be in their shoes. And so when we talk about the whole experience, like employment brand is 
the minute that you do the first screening, uh, actually it's, it starts when that. you're actually yeah. applying for the job and it doesn't take you an hour to fill out the application. So that's all employment brand your whole yeah. journey through it needs to be seamless needs to be on top so one of the things to the earlier questions that uh, you you asked as far as like what can a small business do right away to improve their employment brand i agree with all your points but the one thing is make sure your your process is really tight make sure that your candidates are having a good experience that you're calling them back you're not ghosting them all of those things. So anyways, that's yeah. my soapbox. I'll, I'll, I'll you get step off down now, sir. Exactly. I'll step down. And get off your soapbox. Exactly. I'll, okay. I'll hand it back so, to you. So Kate, I want to ask you, I mean, I know you're in the business. You are absolutely in the business. And so when you look around in the, in, I guess the employment brand industry, what do you see as like the hottest trend? Like what, what's the wave coming? Um, you know, I think visuals are starting to speak. Good answer. I mean, so what I see are two different versions of career sites. You either build a page on your website that takes you to an ATS, or you employ some sort of agency to come in and rebrand a full separate site for your careers. And what you're doing with those assets is storytelling. You're giving candidates a better understanding of what it's going to be like, work-life balance, and again, it goes back to Serge, what Serge said, like be transparent about it and be authentic because it doesn't help anyone to attract the wrong type of talent into your organization. But building up those layers to help, um, help that really life decision happen to say, all right, if I'm going to uproot my family and I'm going to start over at a new place, let's make sure that this place is a good fit for me and a good fit for this organization as well. Because turnover is... I'm sure Caitlin knows much more than I do, but turnover is so expensive to both an organization and your brand because nothing, you know, turnover, nothing good comes after turnover in that sense. So being able to really attract, and I think visuals and storytelling are are the way to, to authentic storytelling are the way to bring them in. Absolutely. Yeah. Good answer. So Caitlin, what do you see as like a hot trend? Yeah, so we've already touched on this just a little bit, but um, I would say that I'm seeing a movement really in terms of the types of, of content of those, you know, storytelling that, that Kate was speaking to. I'm seeing a bit of a, a movement and a preference towards really organic and authentic content mm. um, over like the preference is, is over like the really heavily produced like professional video content. I think people are really gravitating towards people, you know, shooting a video on their iPhone in the same way that people would, you know, film an Instagram story and, and people would want to check that out. So I think that um, that's kind of what consumer preferences are. People have gravitated more and more towards um, seeking out authentic content there. And we're seeing that reflected as well in the employer brand space. And I think a couple of like concrete examples of, of types of content that are going to become um, you know, increasingly valuable to explore as a potential new talent acquisition channel and employee engagement channel will include um, live content. So live content has been around for, for quite a bit of time and some companies have, have picked it up and tried it out with differing levels of success. But um, live content has really exploded in a new way ever since um, this current public health crisis yeah. that we're facing. 
Um, a lot of people have started tuning into live content more, paying attention to it more. We're seeing a lot more people creating it. So I think there are a lot of opportunities to leverage that from an employer brand and recruitment marketing standpoint. Um, so that could look like maybe it's your recruiting team offering up candidate tips to, to help people succeed during your application process. And at the same time, sharing messages about your company culture and why people should want to work there. Um, so those types of content pieces. And then the other one that I think is going to become, the, people are already starting to play around with, but I'm not sure how much success they're having, but I think we're going to start seeing a lot more activity and success occurring in this space is TikTok for oh, new grad so funny. and campus recruitment. <laughs> you know, I was just yeah. waiting for someone to say TikTok and it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, we weren't coming. going to mention, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there are definitely some early players that have started to create content here, but I think it's going to become more mainstream and I think candidates will um, begin to gravitate towards that channel to pick up on careers and culture cues. One organization that I think is doing a pretty good job of it, they're doing um, the best job from what I've seen of any, any company playing around with TikTok for employment branding is um, Washington Post. Yeah. So if you're, if you're not on TikTok yet or if you are on TikTok but want to get an idea of how people might apply it to the employer branding sphere, then they're definitely an account that is worth um, checking out. It's so funny because TikTok is one definitely that we have a lot of internal discussions. Uh, so we've been doing, in a current company, we're doing a lot with Instagram, doing takeovers. It's it got really good attention internally. All the content is created. And the amount of content that we've been able to create from it has been amazing. So trying to work out what TikTok looks for us uh, is, 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 has been a lot of fun. I don't know if you are on TikTok or anything, but we're seeing the demographic really shift. So obviously TikTok was... I would say 14 to 20 is probably their their prime demographic. But like anything else, you get mass adoption when the boomers join in. And we're seeing a large amount of boomers joining TikTok, especially in, in this like crisis that we're in right now. People are looking for things. Yeah. To do, so they're, they're doing these dance videos. Um, I don't know. Have you, Shelly, have you done any videos? I, I did the blinding light challenge. You look great. I'm yeah. Great. You know, I... Um... I can't say as I've actually done any dance videos since, um, you know, it's... You're missing out. <laughs> okay, I'll <laughs> sign up. I'll sign up. Yeah, please uh, do. Listen, I... this, this has been... <laughs> what were you going to say? Just uh, just get Brooklyn, your daughter, to, uh, to show you. I'm sure she's on TikTok. Yeah, because I was going to say for sure they are all on TikTok. And uh, all her friends, and she's so into music. And so actually, I'm surprised. But it's it's kind of one of those things where my kids are at the age where they kind of cringe at the thought of seeing your mother dance. So yeah. That's why I do it. It'll happen. It'll happen to you too, Serge. Exactly. <laughs> Same thing to you, Kate. I don't know about you, Caitlin, but... Um, yeah, nobody wants to see their mom dance. Anyways, do you know, this has been an absolute blast. Oh my gosh. I just feel like we could go on for another hour because it just spurred so many th thoughts. But, um, you know, you've been most generous with your time. And I, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for being on. And this is a topic I love. I imagine we'll probably have many episodes around this topic. Um, but I, I guess to kind of cl close things back around and Kate, I just want to know, like, how can people get a hold of you? Where can we find you? 
Uh, you can um, find me on uh, LinkedIn, Kate Chelovich, and then also Busy Recruiter, B-I-Z-I Recruiter.com. And okay. you can check out what we're doing with visual job descriptions and learn a little bit more of how we're enhancing the candidate journey. Awesome. Thank you. And What's Kate, your TikTok handle? Oh, yeah. TBD, 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 Kate. Oh, okay. Mom yeah. of... <laughs> nice skate around that, Kate. So, Caitlin, where can we find you? Um, you can find me pretty much on all the places at, at Caitlin Holbein, and I'd love for people to connect with me, particularly on LinkedIn. Um, in addition to that, I would say if you're interested in learning more about employer branding and recruitment marketing best practices, uh, my company, The Employer Brand Shop, definitely publishes quite a bit of sort of best practice and inspirational content and all that good stuff. Um, so you can find us at theemployerbrandshop.com, and we're at The Employer Brand Shop on pretty much every social channel. Uh, on Twitter, we're just actually at employer shop because there's not enough um, characters for us. We're not on TikTok yet, but maybe one day. Um, <laughs> so yeah, have a look at that if you're interested in following along the journey and learning a bit more that you can apply to um, to your organization. Do you have a Love personal it. TikTok account? I do, Serge, but you know what? It's not ready to share with the world. It's okay. still very exploratory. <laughs> it's under like a, a pen name, if you will, and I'm still trying to figure out the mechanics and play around with the conventions and it's not ready for the world yet, you know? Okay. Yeah, I'm the same <laughs> way. I'm exactly the same yeah. way. Yeah. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate your time. I think uh, to Shelley's point, the discussion was uh, was really good. I think we came out with a lot of tactical, practical advice that employment, so talent acquisition people can use on a day-to-day basis. So again, I think you're right, Shelley, we'll probably have a lot of episodes around employment brand. It's absolutely critical. What's going to be interesting is after we eventually get out of this situation and how people are going to approach employment brand in the future. Is it going to change? I think it will. So on that note, I'm going to leave you. So thank you for joining the Recruitment Flex. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.